Alright, well our catechism question for tonight is number four. What is God? Easy question. We'll knock it out like I said earlier just in a few minutes. What is God? The answer is actually pretty short. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and is being wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. This is kind of like the, 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 the catechism questions. They'll just be like just raw data, just stuffed in there. And then you kind of need to piece it apart. And if you have the booklet, and there's actually an app I'll tell you about here later on. It's a free app if you don't like having paper things with you. Uh, that has all the references in those things. And there are some 55 verse references for this question number four. 55 verse references or more, depending on how you split them. So this question, it only has three words, and the answer only has ten points. But what could be more foundational than this question and this answer? Who is, what is God? Explain that. I mean, if somebody just came from nowhere, they just woke up from cryogenic sleep, and they had no idea what anything was, and you say you're a Christian, oh, well, what is God? Well, what, like, what do you, how do you answer that? I mean, this is a foundational question. This is so basic. This is the question that you ask as a kid. I know my kids have asked me. And, and then most often when you ask that to an adult when you were a kid and they just kind of gave a rambling, fumbling answer because they were dreading you asking that question and then you just never asked it again and then we all just kind of are working under assumptions that we all kind of just agree on who God is. But we, we should have answers for this. There are things that seem so basic that we feel afraid to ask about it. I think this is one of those questions. It's one of those questions that it would, it would tongue-tie us, and we would be afraid to ask it. Have you, ever done, have you ever been in a situation where you met somebody, and then you go along for a while? Maybe it's at church or somewhere like at work or something, and then you forget their name, and then you keep doing the, hey, guy, or like, what's up, lady, or like, oh, and, but the blast that you do that, and then now it's gone on too long. And now to ask their name you would, it would just be too far gone. Like, you know, I can't ask their name. Like, this is too far. Like, what do I do? I got to find out. Hey, can you tell me what their name is? Because I let it go too far. This is, I feel like this is in the category of that for us as Christians. Define God. That just seems so basic and elementary that we, we move beyond that to so many other things of the Christian faith. But we should have a pretty good and concise answer. That's why I think the catechism is so helpful. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable and is being he's wisdom power holiness justice goodness and truth and that's a great summary so we're going to break those things down so that we don't have to get so far into the christian life and then this basic question not know the answer to like me in high school basketball my senior year been playing basketball all those years leading up and nobody ever taught me how to take a charge ever and then my coach would be yelling at me, take a charge, Sanders. And I finally had to, in practice one day, go, how? Like this humiliating 18-year-old question. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't come from a good basketball program. I have no idea what he's talking about. But I should have, and I never would like ask anybody, like, hey, tell me how to take a charge. But let's just do that. Let's figure out how to take a charge right here. Because if we think about it, how can we explain the Christian faith if we don't really know the answer to this question? How can we explain the Christian faith in its fullness? How can we live the Christian life in its fullness if we're not somewhat familiar with the answer to this question of what is God? So if you're feeling uncomfortable because this would be a tough question for you to answer, welcome. 
you're in the right place. Even my baby feels uncomfortable <laughs> about being in there. But this, this is why we're studying this. This is why we're looking at these things because we don't want to assume anything. And that's why the question's written the way that it is. Did you find it odd that it said, what is God instead of who is God? Why what instead of who? Well, the catechism was written to instruct. And so if you're instructing, you don't presume anything, right? You're down to basics. So if I say who is God, then we've already made a presumption that God is a personal being and not some kind of imperceptible abstract force. So we have to say what is God before we can definitively know, okay, God is a who and not a what. So that's why he starts with that kind of language. So there's 10 attributes of God given in this answer. Now, obviously, that's not an exhaustive list because one of those attributes is infinite. And if one of them is infinite, then our list is going to be coming short no matter what number we hit. But these 10 are helpful for giving us two big categories and then 10 smaller ones. The two big ones are God's communicable and non-communicable attributes. Now, if you've never heard that before, don't worry about that. Communicable being like a, a communicable disease. COVID-19 is a communicable disease. What does that mean? It means it can be spread, right? Somebody else can get it from you. So God has attributes that we can't get from him. Those are the first four. So infinite, we'll never be, we'll never be infinite. We'll never be spirit because we have a body. We'll never be unchangeable. We're changing constantly. And we'll never be eternal. So those are God's incommunicable attributes. He cannot communicate those to us, meaning we don't have those in any kind of portion. But the other attributes, wisdom, power, holiness, truth, justice, we do have in some measure. He does communicate, meaning transmit those to us, like, like a disease can be transmitted. So those are the two big categories that we can look at by just these 10. So we're going to walk through them, and I'm going to try to not be as PowerPointy as possible, try to make it somewhat engaging. So the first one, first is God is a spirit. That seems pretty obvious, but we got to make sure we know that and that we say that. John 4, 24, this is woman at the well. Remember that a few weeks ago or several months ago now, probably? And John, where he's talking to the woman at the well, and she's kind of trying to debate him about religious practice and worship. And Jesus is going in on worship, but he says, God is spirit, period. God is spirit. Not a spirit, is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So spirit means that God is immaterial. He's immaterial. His substance is no flesh, no bones, no body parts. And that's so helpful when we think about Jesus. When Jesus rises from the dead and he goes and shows himself to the disciples, Luke 24, 39, he says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So he took that on. And because they were, when Jesus just shows up in the room, they're like, ah, it's a spirit. He goes, no, it's not. I really am. This is who I am. Because a spirit doesn't have what I have. So you can feel my flesh and bones. You can stick your hands on my side and in the holes of my hands. So I'm not a spirit like, like God is. He's uncreated being. It's unlike human souls or unlike angels. That, that he's dependent upon nothing for his existence. Can you think about ways that you're dependent for your existence? I mean, you depend on what? Let's just say oxygen for one. 
you run out of oxygen, then you die. You, you cease to exist. You're dependent upon food. You're dependent upon blood flow. We're dependent upon so many things. And ultimately, we're dependent upon God. God is not that. He's uncreated. But then when you think about spirit, and then it, the definition says, you know, without flesh or bones or body parts, what about when it says God has eyes or God has ears or the hands of God? I'll, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand, like Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. What is that? Well, if we have John 4, 24 say God is spirit, and then we have he has eyes and ears, well, what we have to say is, well, spirit clearly is understandable. And eyes and ears has got to be figurative. His arm is figurative. It's just a way for us because we couldn't comprehend otherwise. We have eyes and ears. We have hands. Like we have those kinds of body parts and limitations. So it's God, in a sense, kind of condescending down to us so that we can understand him better. It, Calvin called it God lisping to us, which he meant like baby talk, like s- trying to speak on the lowest possible level so that we could understand who he is. So that's spirit. Second is infinite. So that's without measure, bounds, or limits. Infinite. When we, when we hear that, we think just really big number. But the best way I can think about it is like if you stacked rocks up to the moon, when would you be done if you're trying to hit infinity? You could always put another rock on, right? And another rock on, another rock on. Infinite is always ongoing, and it's going in both directions. And the Bible describes God like that. We read from 1 Kings 8 earlier. Paul read from there. That's Paul or Solomon dedicating the temple, and he has this wonderful, beautiful prayer that he says at the beginning. We read the end of that prayer, but in verse 27, he says, But God, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I've built. It's like I built this house for God. And in the Old Testament, God's spirit did reside and said to have resided in the temple. And Solomon knows this is just for us as people to say that's where God is. Like for us to now as new covenant people that say that God dwells within us. That's just for us to say that's where God is. But that's not where God is. Only God is everywhere. He's infinite. He has no, no boundaries. And in Psalm 139, 7 through 10, a very famous psalm, David says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take to the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So this is just, in a sense, incomprehensible. That's what God being infinite is. And omnipresent, he's not limited by space. He's eternal, unbounded by time. And infinite, we don't think about it like this often, but he's infinitely all of his attributes. When we say God is love or God is just, God is wrath, God is mercy, he's infinitely those attributes. He's not just, like we are all partly something. Like, well, I'm left-handed, but that's not all that I am. I'm not infinitely left-handed or I'm six foot two, or you know, I, I, can, I can do math, or I can understand you know, physics or whatever it is. That's part of who I am, but that's not all of who I am. God is infinite, so that means he's infinitely everything that he is. He's infinitely love, infinitely wrath, infinitely mercy, infinitely justice, infinitely holy. So that's infinite, number two. Number three, eternal. It says eternal, so it has no beginning and no ending, chronologically. Psalm 90, verse 2, 
before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, eternal, we're not good at thinking about eternity. It's hard to comprehend eternity. But if you think about every grain of sand on the West Coast, up and down from, all the way from the bottom of California to the top of Washington, every grain of sand on that beach represents 100,000 years. And then you add all of that up, and what number do you get? Something insane. And now, like, that's eternity just beginning. Or that's not even, done, not even a fraction of eternity. And he's infinite, he's eternal past and eternal present, from everlasting to everlasting, that psalm says. And when we think about, we limit it to just time, I think we do ourselves a bit of a disservice in understanding God because if something exists, in which we would say something exists, right? This exists, you exist, I exist. My chain barely exists, he's asleep on the front row. <laughs> uh, then something has to have the power of being. If anything is, then something has to always have been. If anything exists, logically, that's just what we would have to say. If anything exists, something has to be eternal. Because if, like, well, you're, you got here because something create, had to create you. Well, then who created that? Well, then who created that? Well, who created that? Who cre you, just, you just end up in a bigger problem. You're just going to end up <laughs> uh, without a solution. So something has to have eternity or is called the power of being. See, we are contingent and dependent beings. Like we are contingent upon God, upon resources, upon uh, environment and all those things. And, and we're dependent. God is necessary and independent in his essence. He has to be. You ever thought about like that you don't have to be here? God has to be here. He's necessary. We are contingent. We are dependent. He's necessary and independent. And my favorite Christmas movie, maybe yours is too, is It's a Wonderful Life. Anybody else? It's a Wonderful Life. Great movie. Love it. Black and white. Classic Jimmy Stewart. The, I love the time period, the era, the whole thing. I'm always crying when he's about to like, he's just at the end of his rope. And I'm like, I feel your pain, man. Everything just keeps going wrong. Like you never get your breaks. And, uh, but the, the theological liberalism that slips in there is so subtle. Because what's the, what's the heart of the movie? George Bailey is necessary, right? Because if George Bailey doesn't exist, then Bert and Ernie, the cop and the taxi driver, they're kind of just jerks. And his wife leads this terrible life, just hiding in the library. And her, she's miserable and unhappy and scared. And, and then the town goes to Potter. Like he's, you know, ruins it. it, it all if, if it wasn't for George Bailey. He's the center of the universe called Bedford Falls. But, and that's a fine story. I mean, it's fun to watch at Christmas, but that's unbelievably unbiblical, right? Like, I am not necessary. You are not necessary. Oh, I, nobody else is dependent upon me in the sense that if I'm not here, then God cannot take care of them. Or God cannot, his plan will be thwarted if I'm not there. So God is necessary and and. Independent, we are contingent and dependent. That's what he, that's what it fits under that eternal um, attribute. And the last non communicable one, the fourth one, is unchangeable. He's always the same without a microscopic element of alteration. That matters. Malachi 3 6 For the Lord does not change, 
Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, who is God, we know that from John, is the same yesterday and today and forever. Unchangeable. Now, I think we, we get that as far as like God's personality and character. Like God's always been loving. He's always been, uh, you know, a heavenly father. He's always been those kinds of things. But have you ever thought about his, his nature, his will, his love has never changed? Has never changed. His love has never changed. He always is exactly what he is. He can never be acted upon. He doesn't respond to anything. Because if that were the case, if he really was like, ah, man, the Israelites just made me so mad, then that means that there's a stronger authority than God, that he can be influenced by the actions of people and have his mood changed, have his temperament changed. If he's really unchangeable, then that means that whatever whatever is being described to us in those scenes while they're wandering in the wilderness is not changed like the way we think of change. Because that means that God is suspect or, 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 or subject to our influence. I can make God have a bad day by misbehaving and therefore change him. He would have been having a good day, but I changed him because I was being sinful and rebellious. So that that's kind of starts blowing our minds a little bit when we think about that. Like he's just never changing. So that means that he always loves whom he always loves. Now doesn't that just just flower out our the doctrine of election? That that's never changed. It wasn't like he ever decided to love you. He has always loved you. You were born in time and in space, and then you felt that love, and that's come about. But he's always, he's never not loved his chosen. His, that's how eternal and unchanging his love is. So if God ever responds to anything, then he's changeable. So he can't respond. He can't, he doesn't react. He always is. So those are the four things that we'll never get. We'll, we always change. We are not spirits. We are not infinite. And we are not eternal. And God is spiritually, infinitely, and eternally, and unchangeably, the next six attributes. He's those things, the, 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 the non-communicable ones, the, the traits he can't give us, he is those in them. You understand what I'm saying? Like he, so he is infinitely wisdom. He is unchangeably wise. He is spiritually wise. And he is eternally wise. So all of those, those first four, end up kind of describing the rest of them to help us round out who God is. So the first one being wisdom. What is wisdom? What's perfect knowledge of himself and everything in creation? Perfect knowledge of all possible things, of all past things, all present things, all future things. Romans 11, 33, 34. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Isn't it interesting to think about that God is knowable and also unknowable? That you can say that, that how unsearchable and how inscrutable his ways, but yet I can know so much about his ways and yet he still remains wise beyond me. That, that kind of blows us away a little bit. Hebrews 4.13, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. 
It's his wisdom. He knows everything, and he always knows perfectly. And we can see his wisdom in nature's order. Have you thought about, like, why do things work the way that they do? Why does gravity work the way it does instead of the reverse? What's making that be the case? Like, if it starts raining, but everything just goes up? Well, it comes down, and we're, we're down here. We need that rain to come down. We need gravity to always work. So we see, the, and that we see in human existence, in our own bodies, relationships. And then, of course, in redemptive history. You go through here, and you're like, man, what if Joseph never does end up in Egypt? What happens to the people of God? What if Moses doesn't make it down the river in the basket to Pharaoh's daughter? Perfectly wise in redemptive history. Knows all of that. And then that relates to his power. Number six. See, his power is ability to do all things, whatever he pleases. And that's in four major areas. Creation, providence, election, and consummation. So we see his power, the, the explosion of creation. That God just speaks. It's called divine fiat. That doesn't mean a very spiritual, small Italian car. Divine fiat means that God can just speak and then there it is. What didn't exist now has to obey his command. Have you thought about that? When I mean, we've seen movies and we're like, you know, it's a sci-fi thing or whatever and they can, Darth Vader can like control matter that already exists and make it obey him through the force. God's controlling non-matter. It's obeying in non-existence and becoming matter and then becoming what he wants it to be. What kind of power is that? And then in providence, providence, just think about what did it take for you to get here? How many nails did you not drive over to get here? How many things went right in your car's engine for you to get here? What's going right in your body right now for you to be here and be sitting upright? And we go on and on down the list. What's making that happen? It's the power of God. And then in our election, how is it that you're a Christian at all? Did you fumble into it? Did you stumble? Did you go, huh, I don't, I don't know, here I am. Why did you meet that person that led you to Christ? Whether it's your parents or your friend, a coworker, somebody, a stranger on the subway, whatever it is, nobody rides the subway here. We were watching a show about New York earlier today. It's on my mind. Stranger on the bus, at the park, or the Little League game. Why did you know them? God's power for them to share the gospel with you. And then consummation, right? Obviously, the end, we're going to see that power come together when all things are made new. Uh, first references for God's power, Psalm 62, 11. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. In Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. This is Matthew 19, 26. With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. God has all power. Holiness is the next one, number seven. God's holiness is... R.C. Sproul talks about this being the most underappreciated attribute of God, His holiness. And what is His holiness? It can be described as infinitely pure, so perfectly free from all impurity that He has to hate impurity everywhere He sees it. Holiness also has the connotation of being other than us. He's holy and completely, totally other. That's what holiness is. You know, it's the only attribute of God that's repeated three times in, in the Bible. 
Isaiah 6, verse 3. And one angel called to another angel and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So this is a scene where Isaiah is taken in a vision to the throne room of God and the angels are hovering around with two wings. They're flying, two wings are covering their eyes, two wings are covering their feet. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. That's what's happening in the throne room of God right now. And it's fascinating because that maybe is the trait that we think about, dwell upon God the least. There's plenty of us who, who dwell on God's wrath, like God is going to have wrath on sin. But the angels aren't saying wrath, wrath, wrath. Plenty of us who dwell on God's love. God is love. 1 John 4, 16 is clear. But the angels aren't saying God is love, love, love. Or justice, 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 or grace, 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 or mercy, 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 or power, power, power. But holy, holy, holy. And when things are repeated in Hebrew uh, three times, it's like the most uh, extreme you can say something. We would just put, you know, in modern day lingo with a phone, you just put a thousand exclamation points on your text. Just let them go two rows of exclamation points. This, that's what Hebrew is doing with repeating that trait three times. Holy, holy, holy. Totally other, infinitely pure. Number eight, justice. Justice means infinitely righteous and equal within himself and with all of his creation, meaning equitable, that God can never sanction or condone injustice. Now, justice is, is a huge topic for us today. One, one, one uh, example that comes from the scriptures, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, of God describing his justice uh, in relation to his mercy. This is when Moses says, I want to see you. He says, you can't see me. If you see me, you're going to die. Well, I'll put you in this rock, and then I'll let you, I'll cover it with my hand, and then you can see my back as I walk by, which is, again, all metaphorical and figurative languages because we know God is spirit. But in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, so this is that same moment with Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So we see there God's grace, love, mercy, His loving kindness. It's just expansiveness. But then it goes on to say, But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So His justice and His mercy are not fighting each other. God says it there in one breath. This is, this is what they are. <laughs> but both my kids are wiped out. Well, that's when you know you're hitting home runs, baby. If you can just knock out <laughs> two little kids. Oh. The greatest logical threat, though, to God's justice is not the horrible injustices that we see every day and have for the whole of human history. The greatest logical threat to God's justice is our salvation. Right? Because if God is perfectly just, how can he let one sinner into heaven. Doesn't that make him unjust? We're guilty. We, we're the murderers. We're, we're, the, the, we're the traffickers. We're the gun runners. We're, we're the drunkards. We're the drug addicts. We're the liars. We're the perjurers. We're the arsonists. That's what we are. So if he lets us go as the judge, then he's not just. 
So the greatest logical threat to his justice is not, ah, we see sin in the world. It's, you let sinners into heaven. Let's just go with one. You let one sinner into heaven. So the greatest logical threat is us. Then you enter Jesus. He's the only solution for justice because Romans 3.26 couldn't say it if it wasn't for Jesus. Where it says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who had faith in Jesus. Now, have you seen that? He might be just and the justifier. How can he be both? How can he be both? How can he justify me and be just at the same time? And any judge that you would ever come across that goes, he lets everybody go. He never punishes people. They always get to go. So you hope you get that judge if you commit a crime. Would you say that guy is just? No. He's just justifying everybody. Oh, I get it. You probably needed that car. Uh, we all need $6 million worth of diamonds every once in a while, so I get it. You needed that. Go ahead and go home. Like, that, that guy's a justifier. He's making excuses for everybody's crimes. But then a just judge is like, oh, you stole bread to feed your family? You're a poor immigrant. You have no job, nothing. I'm going to slam you with the book and lock you up for 10 years for that. That's just, but there is no justifying there. So how can God be both? That's, you have to have, that's the gospel, right? That's Christ. He's got to take the burden for us, a completely innocent, perfect one, to be punished in our place, to serve our community service, to serve our death sentence, to serve our 13 years in prison, whatever, whatever you want to analogy you want to make. That's what he, he can say, justice has been served, but I can also justify and let these guilty ones go and grant them my presence. So God is justice. Number nine, he is goodness. He is altogether good and the author of all goodness that exists. Mark 10, 18, Jesus said to him, this is the rich young ruler. We mentioned it earlier this morning. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone because the rich young ruler is coming to Jesus as a rabbi. He's like, hey, super teacher, go ahead and tell me that I'm good to go that I'm okay, God will accept me. So he's just coming for that kind of affirmation. So Jesus says, you don't even know what good is. You think I'm just a teacher and you're calling me good. No human being is good. Only God is good. But altogether good, this is so important for us to remember, especially when we go through trials, right? That this is what God is. It's not what he does. He does do good, but he is good. And Romans 8, 28 and we know that God causes all things together to work for good to those who love him and are called to according to his purpose. You've got to believe that verse now before the pain comes. Because to have that verse, I've talked to so many people going through miserable pain and miserable trials. And they say, if one more person comes up to me and quotes me Romans 8.28, I'm going to lose it. And that's because, for one, Christians are notoriously horrible grief counselors. Horrible grief counselors. We are Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar from the book of Job. We are horrible grief counselors. But secondly, it's because you're not meditating on the goodness of God before bad things happen. It doesn't say everything is good, but that God is so good, he can work everything for good. Those things are bad, but he can work them for good. Why? Because he's the author of all goodness. Everything good comes from him, and he alone is good. So we draw comfort before we come into that wood chipper of pain and suffering that always will come for us. 
We see it in his provision. We see it in his patience. We see it in his love. We see his goodness in those places. And then lastly, the Catechism says, and in truth. This is perfect sincerity and faithfulness. Free from all falsehood. Free from all illusion. That's what God's truth is. God being truth. You ever thought about other religions? All the pagan gods are tricksters, right? Trying to dupe other gods into these other things that they're not the source of truth, that even on the level of deity in pagan religions, whether it's Greek mythology or Native American mysticism or Hinduism, they're all not the truth. Truth is kind of an abstract idea in pagan religions, but in the scriptures, Christianity, God is the truth, and there is no deluding of that at all. Titus 1-2, when Paul says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, you ever just want a plain statement about God? Just give me something plain I can hold on to. Who never lies. That's just comforting to hear that. I mean, because you could go the whole Bible and probably draw those conclusions eventually over time. It's nice to just have a sledgehammer of truth, right? God, boom, God never lies. He never lies. He promised before the ages began. Hebrews 6.18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible. And if you're staking your eternity on something, wouldn't you want it to be on someone who it's impossible for them to lie? It's impossible. Whatever we read in here has to be the truth because it's from God. And if it's from God, it cannot be a lie. It's impossible. We don't just have, or no, rather, God doesn't just have or know the truth. He is the truth. And that's so reassuring in an age where through our devil rectangles, we are being bombarded with lies all day. And, and we're to the point now to where news outlets don't even bother issuing retractions when they get it wrong. Because the truth is irrelevant. So, wow. How blessed are we to have a God who is the truth. Our anchor holds. It cannot be moved. So those are those ten attributes of God. And the, the helpful buckets to put them in are attributes that only God can have, attributes that he can give to us, that he is infinitely all of these things, and we can have these in portions. So we can have wisdom. We can have truth. I can tell the truth. I can be wise. I can act holy. I can be, I can exude some kind of power, those kinds of things, but I can't be infinite. I can't be uh, eternal. I can't be unchangeable. I can't be spirit. That's what God is. So that's an unbelievably short flyover over a massive amount of content, massive amount of content. But my hope is, is that this what is God question, this is just a good nutshell for us. And I hope that, that it drives you into, uh, to, looking at it more and using the catechism for help. The, uh, the app I was going to tell you about, just talking about the devil rectangle here in a minute, it's called, it's called the Reformed Companion. It's not a dating app for Christians. <laughs> Terrible name, but it, it is free, and you can click on the catechism, and so then question number four, what is God? It pops up all the verse references, and then you click that, and then it has all the verse references, and it's in the ESV, so it's not in the King James. Really readable, free app. 
Uh, I, I love having things like that. You know, when you're traveling or when you're just trying to bust out a quick, quiet time, you have a moment here or there, and if, if you can use the phone for something good or redeemable, then you can get the app. It's the, it has, but it has all of the catechisms that the church has used. It has a few other things that are helpful for teaching. Um, but this is the topic that we should be studying our entire lives. Amen? Amen. And God has made himself known to us just by talking baby talk. And we are thankful for that. Uh, well, let me pray for us and then we'll sing once more. Lord, we're grateful. Thank you for letting us gather together in worship this evening. And thank you for babbling to us. You, you know how infinite, how eternal, how above and high and beyond and unsearchable and unscrutable you are to us as, as, a, as who you are and what we are, our limitations. But you still found a way, made a way, motivated by love alone to make yourself known to us. You could have left yourself a mystery. You could have left us without any definitive content to answer the question, what is God? But you've let us know that you are a who and who you are as a personable deity. So we thank you for that. Let us always and eternally be grateful for it. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's...